You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Lord, for all of our blessings, we give you thanks. Um, uh, Thank you for this day, for your mercy, for the church, um, for our spouses, for our families, for all that we have from you, Lord. We um, uh, work your work upon us and give us uh, grateful hearts so that we would, in fact, in all things, um, give thanks. Um, be with us now. In Jesus' name, amen. So marriage class, finishing up the fourth of four weeks. Um, it's good to see everybody. Um, uh, today, we're going to go into Colossians 3 and really kind of go back to where I thought we would start. And I did mention this in the first week, but sort of the theme, which um, probably rises up more than any other uh, uh for me, coming out of Genesis 2, good morning, um, this idea of two becoming one flesh, and I really center on that word become, two have become one, and now to place it in the, in the ongoing future sense of things, becoming right for one another, um, becoming uh, this new flesh, and this word image, which, which I thought I would use each week, and I haven't, but let me go back to it. I think a lot of times when we get married, and you know, looking around the room, a lot of us have been married probably for a little while, and some a little bit longer, and some for a little bit longer yet. Um, but I think it hits really at any stage. Uh, and you could talk about confirmation biases and everything else from a, from a psychological standpoint. We tend to see our marriage, um, our spouses, um, at the present moment. And so, you know, especially at our wedding day, you know, there we are, you know, man and woman, husband and wife, bride and groom, and we see it as statues, you know, aha, the two who shall become one, and they're already statues, and I emphasize that because I don't know where I got this, but it's resonant to me because there's that, that, that fallacy, um, you know, one of my favorite phrases is let's call a thing what it is, let's, um, let's, let's name the it. Uh, to call a thing what it is is to realize it's not two statues, um, but it's more the, the, the raw material, the block of marble, as it were, um, is the better image, is the better portrait, because we're not finished. We're not finished, completed selves, each being given to the other. But as it were in the wedding service, if you want to get kind of, you know, existential on this, and I think think marriage is a time to go existential. Um, uh, Better is there's a block of marble up there, and they're about to um, be set apart, holy and beloved, we're going to hear that in Colossians, Uh, set apart by God, dedicated for His work done in His way, where He's the sculptor, and there's the block of marble, and then they start chipping, you know, each being made, uh, both being made into one flesh. And I say that, as soon as I say that, I want to say, and it's both and. It's both you are one flesh and you are becoming one flesh. Um, You are and you are becoming. Um, And those are the tenses of salvation. And that's really what it is, and that's kind of my big line here, is, is God's work done in God's way through our marriages. It's still on us for the purposes of our salvation, for the purposes of our, of our, um, our sanctification specifically. Sanctification is the present and ongoing work of God and His salvationing of us. Um, justification, I was saved. Sanctification, I am saved and am being saved. 
glorification, that day when, and this will also be in Colossians, when either at our deaths or when Christ comes back and sin is utterly and completely removed from us. Thanks be to God. Man, the older I get, the more I hunger for that. Um, uh, where there's no more crying, there's no more need, there's no more privation, there's no more separateness, where all things and all manner of things are well, and the wolf shall lie down with the lamb. It's almost Advent. We're going to start hearing that again. And this wonderful time of the new heavens and the new earth, when things come and we won't be broken, that's glory. That's our glorification when sin is removed. Um, and so here, as we work out our salvation in fear and trembling, as it is God who works in us according to will and to act according to his good pleasure, Philippians 2, um, that's, you know, the inst- marriage. The Lord uses marriage as an instrument of his work on our lives. And so that's really kind of where we're headed. Um, and I try to use this series to to think about that in different ways with the first week, really the ground um, of, uh, of, of who we are, the creation of, uh, of Adam and Eve, where Adam was split, not really from a rib. I know it ruins all the funny jokes about a rib. Um, what can I get for a rib? So speaks Adam. Um, uh, uh, it's more just, in, and the Lord caused a sleep on Adam, and from his side, he took Eve. And sort of that, again, mystical, existential question how does that work? Um, I don't know. Sort of like the Trinity. You know, one plus one plus one equals one, and yet at the same time it equals three. And here the two, the husband and the wife, are two, and they remain distinct, and yet they are one. And so we get the idea of unity, but not uniformity. Um, I really try to lay that out. And then the second week, with Ephesians 5, um, uh, remembering first, the, 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 the beginning verses in 1 and 2, um, offering yourselves as a fragrant offering and sacrifice unto God um, from His grace, giving thanks in all things, and then from that position of gratitude, only then from that position of gratitude do we begin to work and think about submission. And not wives submit to your husbands and husbands love your wives. That's where it's usually taken and it's right there in the latter half of Ephesians 5. But before that, it is submit to one another out of fear of Christ, out of a sense of wonder, awe, and praise of something which is so great and so distinct and so beyond us, Christ's salvation of us. In the same way, consider your marriage um, and fear your marriage in the sense of have a respect for it, honor it, accord it a work that is not our work and not within our control, not within my creative energy and power. It is God who works um, his, to will and to act according to his good purpose. And so we tried to tap that vein a little bit the second week, um, remembering the word submit, trying to use Tua Tungavaloa's concussion for my own good pleasure. That's supposed to be funny. Um, <laughs> where a taxis, you know, a word which is in the news, is kind of off the news again, um, which is a symptom to describe um, uh, when somebody has a concussion, just mean gross motor discoordination or his, his actions are not arranged properly. That's what that word in the Greek means. And that's what the word submit is in a proper arrangement of things, remembering that we do not belong to ourselves. We were bought with a price. That was in the third week um, out of Paul's letter to, uh, to the Corinthians. And the proper order of things as we submit to one another is to say, I'm not first. And, and in the ordering and glory of God, when we, when we do reach that, that place, the new heavens and the new earth, 
we'll know that we're not first, and all will be seeking to be second. And in that, we'll find that, that bond of perfect harmony, which Paul's going to mention again today in Colossians 3. Um, so that's kind of where we've been. So now, as I've spent all that time, let me, uh, let's engage Colossians and then look a little bit at... Um, uh, so this is the other slides. If you're interested, I can send these to you. Just kind of little one-liners that prompt me for what we're doing. Um, and it should be there. Yeah. Um, Paul's letter to the Colossians. Um, uh, one of the, the, the wedding readings um, for, uh, in, 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 uh, in our prayer book um, is what uh, the New Testament passage that was read at ours. Just trying to think about that, letting the word of Christ dwell in us richly. Um, uh, but first, as want to do, because Paul wants us to do it. Um, the Holy Spirit wants us to do it. Backing up just a little bit before we get to uh, 12 through 17, before God, Paul, the scripture, any, fill, in your, fill in the blank, before he tells us what to do, um, submit to one another reverence for Christ, um, be kind and gentle, etc. and so forth. Before he does that, he's always going to tell us who we are, or before that, whose we are. You could really think of that. And so here's the beginning. Of, uh, of the third chapter to the Colossians, which you have in front of you. Um, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. And then go down to verse 12. Put on then... There's the then. The signal's like, oh yeah, we've got to go up to the first. Um, Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and, if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all these things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony, And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So just breaking this down quickly. Um, I don't have that much time. If then, um, maybe even a better word, as, because it's not, you can hear the word if, both conditional or, I was trying to think of the word, not necessarily causal, um, effectual. Um, as, as you have been raised with Christ, to speak about the past event, which has fully and completely happened. As you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God, and set your minds, our regard, uh, the things that are above, not the things here on earth. So again, before we're told what to do, we're reminded whose we are, and the fuel to seek and to set our minds only comes from the effectual uh, prior event as you have been raised with Christ. And so he wants to now unfold that a little bit further in verses 3 and 4. For, there's the, uh, the joining word, for you have died, proper passivity, Paul often, I won't say always, often wants to remind us who we are. Um, 
dead. Um, uh, dead in our trespasses and sins, um, having lived a past dead life, for you have died. And now it's going to ask, well, if I'm dead, what am I doing here? And he just wants to unfold that. And your life. So, but I was dead, and now I have life. So you're starting to pay attention. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Um, unusual phrase for Paul. I don't go too far here. Paul's very comfortable saying in Christ, for Christ, in Christ's gospel, and those kinds of language. He doesn't often say the words in God. That's more Peter and some others. Let's just kind of find that phrase if you want. Um, but here, as somebody I was reading put it, um, a double rampart, all divine. You are hidden in Christ, with Christ, in God. And just this idea, um, uh, we sometimes still use this language. Um, that uh, when somebody dies, they're now hidden in the earth, hidden in the grave. Um, that's the idea. For you have died, and now you're hidden, buried with Christ, as Paul will say in Romans. Um, hidden with Christ in God. And if we're there, you know, in the side of Christ, cleft for me. So there's the wound that uh, Augustus' top lady wants to remind us of in the hymn. If we're hidden in the side of Christ, um, in the wound, cleft for me then we'll be okay. Then the storms will come, and they'll rage, and they'll pass, uh, and they'll rage, and they'll, they'll, uh, they'll blow. But we'll be hidden, and we'll be okay. Um, for you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, just, gosh, I mean, I'm going to stop right there, but I can't. Um, Christ is life. It's just this abrupt phrase where Paul is now, as it were, tripping over verbs and nouns, and he just wants to say, Christ is everything. He's all in all. How can I say that more strongly? Christ is life. Uh, when he appears, again, in that day when the new heavens and the new earth come, and Christ comes back um, uh, at, the, at the sound of the bell, when, um, when every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Christ is Lord, there we all are. Every single one of us who are hidden with Christ in God, also appearing with him in glory. It's a fantastic vision of, uh, of, uh, of the restoration of all things. That's who we are and whose we are. And then he gets to marriage. And not even marriage. Then he gets to just the order of things and a proper submission each to the other. Put on then. Funny phrase. He says, you know, it's a clothing. It's a sink into these clothing. I think we still use that. I, I want to go home and just kind of sink into a pair of sweatpants. That's all I want to do. That's exactly what Paul is saying. Those are the verbs. I just want to sink in as God's chosen ones, those picked out by God, holy, dedicated, beloved. God is the lover and we are his object, beloved by God. And this goes through, reminiscent of Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit, faithful, kind, gentle, self-controlled, or the Beatitudes, blessed are the meek, the poor, um, uh, uh, the, the, those that hunger and thirst for righteousness. A very similar way, and some of the words are even the same. Holy and beloved, have compassionate hearts, mercy, pity, um, bending down, stooping to fulfill the needs of another. Kindness, um, interesting that word. I did a lot of word work this week. The same word when Matthew um, uh, speaks Christ words. Come unto me, all ye who travail and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. For my yoke is easy, or kind is another way we could put it. It's that same word. Just a kind, easy, well-fitting life. Um, 
humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another. If anybody has a complaint, forgive as the Lord has forgiven you. So you must forgive. I'm going to hurry. And above all these things of the supreme work, put on love. Um, love which creates the perfect bond, the completed, finished, and, uh, uh, and perfect bond. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Um, let the peace of Christ, which has been given. Again, Paul helps Paul. Uh, Paul helps explain Paul. For we have been justified by faith, um, and now we have peace with God. My favorite part of the five o'clock service, if you ever come to that. That's the last line. And now we are justified by faith, and we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. With that as the new pair of glasses, to put AA's phrase on it, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Be the arbiter in your hearts. Be the decider in your hearts. As you have conflict, as you come one sinner to another, um, let the peace of Christ, remember we are justified by faith and we have peace with Christ, let Christ rule or umpire or arbitrate or decide. These are all the different words that could be used there. To which indeed you were called in one body, the one flesh. And then Paul, he can't help it when he starts to, to wrap up like this. He just wants to go with gratitude because that's going to cover the multitude of sins. And be thankful. And let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And here's the gift as it is spoken, so the gift is given. Um, hear this word and receive this. Let the word of Christ. It's not so much, it's not at all, in fact, that we have the power to hold it back. He's not saying, like, just let your hand down and let God do what he wants to do. It's, 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 it's just the gift. It's like, this is the work that the word is doing. Um, we're dead. We're properly passive. It's being washed upon us like air in the room which warms and you realize, I'm not cold anymore. Let the air warm you, would be a phrase. It's not like I'm saying, like, no, I'm going to stay cold. It's happened. It's just happening. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing, and whatever you do, in word and deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks. Um, so it's a beautiful phrase, uh, a beautiful passage, which just describes... How we move through time together. It's also a phrase that I was given um, really in my work, specifically as a, a marriage therapist. Um, uh, somebody once said, what, what we're trying to do as marriage counselors is affect the way two people are moving through time together. I was like, man, that's a good summary. I'm holding on to that, both from a pastoral perspective, a counseling perspective, and everything else. Here's the word doing the work, just to describe here. Move through time together. Not just today, certainly today. Not just tomorrow, certainly tomorrow. But 10 years, 20 years, 50 years from now. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, doing the work that it's doing when God is doing the thing he most wants to do with his gospel. Um, so I'll stop there. Um, that's Colossians. Um, any comments there before we just turn to a few sort of thoughts about marriage and a quote that I really like about marriage? Um, any thoughts there? Then, um, I gotta remember what I did. Yeah, okay, just that one. Um, becoming right for one another. Again, like I said at the beginning, a better image, um, not that I think a lot of us think of ourselves as statues, but just recognizing I probably do, um, what's the cognitive bias there? It's the um, 
the present fallacy. We tend to, um, a recency bias, be a phrase a lot of us know, we want to take uh, the now and give it disproportionate weight. And so, you know, around here, we're about to do our year-end evaluations. Notorious, this is the time when I normally think of a recency bias. It's supposed to be an evaluation period of 12 months, right? It's really the last three weeks. You've been late, you know, you've done great, you know, you, you, you show up and shave or whatever it's gonna be. Um, uh, we, we, we do this. We see things not as they are, but in all sorts of ways. And it's just a way to try to have us bounced out of ourselves and into something bigger than us. That's gonna be the theme here of becoming right for each other. Remembering, aha, I'm not my own. And I don't see things as they are. Um, uh, I was purchased by God for a different reason. I've been given to another person for a different reason. We are becoming right for each other. Which then a guy named Stanley Hauerwas, who teaches at Duke, he said this years ago, and I have said this. I tried to stay away, by the way, in this series for those of y'all who come to the marriage retreats, because I'll talk about this a lot on the marriage, or some on the marriage retreats that we've done in the last two, two years or so. But Stanley Hauerwas has something he's even called Hauerwas's Law. And that's that you always marry the wrong person. And then he wants to say, which the corollary is also true. If that's true, then you always marry the right person. And how does this work out? Um, because if we have this fundamental inadequacy, if we have a sense um, that the prevailing assumption that if we can be compatible and if Mrs. Wright can find Mr. Wright, then they're going to be happy and the marriage is going to be good. And if you don't have that, that Mr. Right found Mrs. Wrong or vice versa, and they weren't right for each other, then the marriage is either awful or not as good. And then it's just sort of how can I walk around and sort of say like, well, you know, I didn't, I didn't win the lottery. You know, I'm, I'm okay, but this, this, this is awful. Or let me try over and, you know, try a different marriage um, and see what happens then. Um, how he wants to, and I'm right with him. So like that is a very limited view. We've got blinders on if we see that, to recognize that we always marry the wrong person. If some criteria like that, which overplays compatibility, that somehow this mixture of, of uh, I was gonna think of something, so whatever makes this cocktail of Gill and Maymay is the right mixture, and we got lucky, uh, that's not what he wants to say. Um, two sinners, when they say I do, are exactly that. And now you're going to have a particular set of problems that are going to be defining throughout your life. Um, and if I would have married somebody else, or if Maymay would have married someone, we would have a different set of problems. But they'd still be problems. The grass would still be brown in all those different areas. Uh, and so now, hear the word of freedom. You've married the right person. Beneath God's redemptive work in hand, uh, as you're becoming right for each other, each being given to the other in, a, in times of, uh, of struggle and joy and, um, and gift and, uh, and heartache. God's at work, doing what he wants to do, taking that marble, forming it to will and to act according to his good purpose. Um, so that's some of what Howard wants, wants to get at when he's talking about this marrying the wrong person. And now shifting gears and wrapping up, um, Christians are not self-made. Um, fundamental assertion, I would say. Um, and like Christians not being self-made, we're other-made. Um, we're made by God. 
in whatever way that is, called, declared, um, uh, pulled to Him. Neither are our marriages. We don't make our marriages. Our marriages make us. I'm going to play the words around. I think that's a much better way to put it. Um, and then a guy named David Schnark, who I read this like 10 years ago. I need to reread it. Um, not a Christian at all, which is why I thought it was very interesting that he came up with, with phrases like this. Um, no one is ready for marriage. Marriage makes you ready for marriage. Um, and this sense, I'll play this out sometimes with premarital counseling. Um, this marriage, with has the capital M, although it's a capitalized, it's capitalized because it's the first word of the second sentence. Also, this idea of lowercase and uppercase marriage. What if marriages, as a common noun, were everywhere, but your marriage, the one flesh, which is very particular, a proper noun, as it were, given to you, the two of you, which are now the one, um, that marriage is now making you ready for marriage. Something, again, bigger than you, larger than you, outside of you, something which is making you. Um, this is where I could almost feel like I'm blaspheming, except this is exactly what the Bible does. When it wants to talk about marriage, it lapses into the language of our salvation. Where, like we looked at in Ephesians 5, and he's trying to say, husbands and wives, this is what I want you to do, and this is how you should live. And he starts talking about Christ's relationship with the church. The two are so similar and so intertwined in the way that the Spirit works. We're in a similar way there, where now uh, our marriages are making us ready for marriage. Um, uh, and I know some have struggles this month, and that's not necessarily a comforting word, except maybe by the grace and the mercy of God, it could become a comforting word to recognize that you know, God is willing and He is acting, and our marriage is making us ready for this marriage, this thing which goes 20, 60, and in one instance, 72 years. Um, and this next quote, we'll pull that up in a minute. But the last thing I wanted to say, really because I thought, oh, this is going to be fun, I'm going to take marriage, the Apostle Paul, and Martin Luther, three of my favorite things, and pull them all together, and then we'll wrap up. Um, uh, Luther had, I'm not going to go too far with this, but I might do a class on this at some point. Um, uh, kind of in the middle of his career, he uncovered, he kind of took what was old and kind of redid it for, for the Reformation's purposes. Uh, the three rules for the making of a theologian is what he called it. Theologian, first thing to say, as Luther meant it, um, was just us. This isn't somebody like Mark Genelet or somebody else, like a professional theologian who's got a PhD and now he does this for, for you know, trading his time for money in a professional sense. It's just those who suffer the Word of God. To be under the Word of God is to, pa to be passive beneath it. That's what that word comes out of. Um, uh, and he said, that's all of us. And the three rules were prayer, meditation, and struggle. Prayer. Um, and I thought, this is pretty good for marriage, except meditation has to have a word to describe it. Prayer, um, remembering you're not your own, you're bought with a price, that we're not first, that we belong to another, um, that prayer is always a petition because we can't, we can't deliver the thing which we're praying for and need uh, that we have to ask. And so we're always recognizing that it may not be offered. And so we place ourselves in the correct order of things, that God is God and I am not. Um, uh, we must let God be God. That's the essence of our prayer. And remembering that in marriage, that it's I'm not the only one here. 
I've got some significant needs, hopes, dreams, desires, but so does our spouses. Um, and that within all that, in prayer and supplication, singing songs and hymns and spiritual songs, um, just recognizing that, that you know, I'm not always first. Um, and if each are fighting to give to the other primacy, I, I would say that marriage sings. That marriage does really, really, really well. Um, so prayer, meditation, as Luther meant it specifically, this is not the inward experience that we normally think of, like, you know, I'm meditating. Om. If anything, it's the exact opposite. Luther said, you know, when you, when you meditate, go by yourself or with other people and read the word out loud. Very interesting. Because the external word, doing the work, like, audibly, on the ear, um, for Luther was convinced, it, it does something. Hearing the word in the physical breath through a vocal cord and then striking the human ear, auricular uh, event, as it would be called, um, matters. And so now bringing that to our marriage, the sense that, again, external to us, this capital M proper noun marriage, this thing which is bigger than us, recognizing it has a power which we can't begin to comprehend or understand. Something like sex, which we think is like a little blackjack, I mean a black cat firecracker. You know those little single ones that you light and pop and there's tons of fun to play with when I was 10 years old. We think that's what I'm playing with, but it's something so much bigger. It's, it's, uh, it's TNT. It's a massive bomb. There's so much power in that. And remembering that, that's why I put behold. Oh yeah, that word which takes me out of myself and reminds me of what's true and real and actual. We meditate, in that sense, on our marriage, which is to say the thing which is outside of us is doing the work, and we're in that proper passivity, dead in our trespasses and sins. And then struggle, which is the worst one, the way, of course, the one we always want to avoid. Um, tentatio, he called it in Latin. Um, uh, spiritual and agonizing struggle, something like what Jacob did when he struggled with this dark figure, um, with perhaps the pre-incarnate Christ as he was coming across the, uh, the Jabbok River. Um, not, you could say, you know, uh, feeling the, um, the weight of his sin, like something like the law's work on his life, uh, something other, meeting God as God, um, which is a fearful thing, Hebrews will remind us. Something like that in those struggles as we move through time together. Uh, that's, that's part of what makes our marriages, absolutely. And then struggling to, uh, to find a way through. Um, the statistics here are pretty clear. I haven't talked a lot about those. But if you take couples that are right now saying, my marriage is not satisfying, it's very unsatisfying, absent any other intervention, if you come to them in five years, more often than not, that couple will say, it's okay. It's okay. And so maybe I'll close here. Um, I don't know why I like this quote so much. Um, well, you can't even read it, so I'll have to read it to you. Um, do I have it? I'm going to have to do this. Um, uh, I probably know it. Um, it's a book, I mean a novel. I liked it so much because I, I saw it, and then I went and got the novel. And the novel's not very good, but this is a great quote. Um, <laughs> Uh, I don't have any idea who Ann Tyler is. I think that's her name, Patchwork Planet. Um, uh, but this is what she said. I'm taking it totally out of context, but it's a great phrase. Um, 
I knew couples who'd been married almost forever, 40, 50, 60 years, 72 in one case. They'd be tending each other's wounds, uh, each other's illnesses, filling in each other's faulty memories, dealing with money troubles or a daughter's suicide or the grandson's drug addiction. And I was beginning to suspect that it made no difference whether they married the right person. Finally, you're just who you're with. Uh, you've signed on with her, put in a half century with her, grown to know her as well as you know yourself, or even better, and she's become the right person. Or the only person might be more to the point. I wish someone had told me that earlier. I'd have hung on then. I swear I would. And of course that last line just drips with sadness. I just, I would have hung on then. I swear I would. Looking back with regret. I don't, again, I don't remember the context in which this came. But just this idea, somewhere along the way, it just doesn't matter anymore. You're just who you're with. Beneath the gracious, redemptive, omnipotent hand of God. Gift. Giving thanks for all things. Finally, you're just who you're with. And you're becoming right, each for the other. This block of marble that you're becoming. Um, or as this block of marble is now no longer marble, but, but a living and breathing organism. Um, something like that. So, it's time, but yeah, let me just pray, and then I'm um, happy to hang around if you may have any thoughts. Lord, take these words, feebly offered, and, and by your power, um, carry them, and let your work be done in your way, so it wouldn't lack for any needed thing. I do pray for the marriages in this room, that you would uphold us in every way, strengthen us, uh, lift us out of ourselves, Lord, um, for a moment for a glimpse of the, uh, the greater work that's going on beneath your hand. Um, and let us be thankful. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you will join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.